my first time wrapping a block of C4 and initiating it, my heart was pitter-pattering. Eventually you get used to it and I think it's a part of the adrenaline that really knocks out the anxiety part of it because you're just like, this is so cool. Hi, this is Captain Adam Morton for the Canadian Army Podcast. Combat engineers are known to ensure that troops can live, move, and fight on the battlefield, and that needs a lot of work, people, and equipment. Here to talk about everything combat engineer is Corporal Alana Zankita from 5 Combat Engineer Regiment, and she's joining us from Valcarche. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my first time ever being on a podcast, so <laughs> this is an experience. Great. Well, let's make it a good one. Awesome. So let's start with what is a combat engineer? A lot of people maybe don't know what that is. Do you think maybe people disarming mines or something like that? What does that job actually look like? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a little bit of a snippet. Uh, so combat engineers ensure the mobility of troops, and they also aid in the counter mobility in the enemy movement. So it could be by constructing bridges or clearing bridges, creating obstacles or clearing obstacles with explosives or heavy equipment. It's detecting and avoiding mines in the road for other troops be able to push through. It's also like environmental hazards, keeping an eye on them. But our secondary job is infantry. So we are trained in those skills as well. So I think we should go through a little bit of those one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. I know it was a lot to talk about. So we do have a very widespread of different things we do as combat engineers. So totally understandable. We can break it down a little. Let's talk about mobility a little bit. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we have like our own military vernacular that we we use quite effectively. But to some people, like it seems fairly obviously what mobility is moving. But what does that look like on the battlefield? To go into the engineering job of to ensure the mobility of troops, say we are on mission and there is a huge gap and we need to pass through this river crossing. And we have a battalion behind us of tanks. We got infantry. We have everybody going on. So we can't just go through the water because it's too deep. So we need to build a bridge. So that's our job as combat engineers to construct the bridge. So it could be a MGB, a medium Gerber bridge is like big Lego pieces. And you work together to connect them all. And in the outcome of it, you get a bridge. You can also do an NSB, and NSB is known for like an improvised bridge. So depending on what materials you have available to you. Also for mobility, we could also do for the clearing of obstacles. So say if there's this route and the enemy placed a bunch of cement blocks everywhere. So we can't just drive over the cement blocks. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at the cement blocks. We're going to measure them. We're going to see how thick they are, what kind of cement they're even made out of. And if they're reinforced, so if they're reinforced, they have metal rods running through them. We're going to do the calculations to see how much explosives we need to breach those to clear them out of the way. And then after we have heavy equipment, which comes in, they get all the large pieces of the obstacle out. So mobility of our troops can continue on. And so conceivably, counter mobility is putting those concrete blocks or other things to prevent the enemy from being able to move around. Absolutely. So if the enemy was coming from one direction and we didn't want them anymore, we could set up minefields to make it for they don't go on the major routes, or we can even use it to our own advantage and to canalize in the enemy, which means that we want to put the enemy somewhere. So say if we put a bunch of minefields north and south, that would make the enemy having to go in a certain direction, which would be more beneficial for us. 
So that's kind of what combat engineers do. But I know, like, for example, I'm in the infantry. You have, like, lav gunner or paratrooper. There's, like, all sorts of specialties. What kind of specialties do you have in the combat engineer trade? We have a bunch. To start off with, I'm going to go into some of my favorites. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So I am intelligence specialty, and it's TIAC, Tactical Intelligence Operations. That's what I have for my qualification. I want to say it was an eight-week course that I did, and this specialty, I just actually used it in an exercise this last two weeks. So what I did as the specialty is I looked at the map, and I was trying to see where the enemy was coming from, and there was a massive river, and we knew the enemy would have to cross the river. So I was examining where would be the best points for them to cross at. It depends on what terrain is on the other side, depending on what equipment they have, the bridging capabilities, and and where would be the best routes for them to jump onto to continue on with their passing. So that's a specialty that I took personally to give myself a better knowledge of the military playbook and why people do things in a certain way. Another kind of specialty that we have within the engineers is advanced search. What's that about? Yeah, so we do occupied and unoccupied searches. So to go into that a little bit, occupied searches means that the residents are still inside the home. Right. So we approach the house. We could be looking for drugs, explosives, components, harmful weapons, et cetera. So we go up to the house. There's an MP with us, so military police. They explain the situation that there's a search warrant. We go inside and we are trained to respect the people in the homes, even if we are searching them, which is absolutely understandable. There could be children, there could be women, there could be men inside this house who aren't even understanding why we're there. So another part of advanced search is unoccupied search, which is my personal favorite. So unoccupied search means that we do not know if people are living in the house, which means that it could potentially be Mm booby-trapped. So we can't just touch and look through things. We don't know what's going on in there. So we call it hook and line. It's this kit that we have, and it has multiple different kind of tools, uh, such as clamps, hooks, ropes, etc. And we attach as many items inside that house uh, together as possible. And we have this really big cord, and we put ourselves at a safety distance in case there is something that does initiate and explode, then we are protecting ourselves. We don't want to be sitting there all day long just pulling one thing at a time, a washer, a dryer. No, no, no. We want to hook up as many items as we can as possible. And we pull it really hard. This one time we grabbed a couch and we had to bring it outside of the window, but it was like in the middle of the living room, flipped upside down, and we weren't allowed to touch it at all. So it's a lot of creativity that comes into it when you're kind of thinking of how you're going to approach the scenario. And another reason why I personally really love search is because everybody thinks differently, but we could be able to intertwine our uh, thought process together and see if we can make like a maybe a better outcome. And that ties in pretty nicely with uh, counter ID as well. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, there's lots of ways for you can approach a situation, uh, especially for counter ID. Um, the EOD team, which is explosive ordnance disposal, um, there's multiple ways for you can approach different scenarios with that. I'll give you a little snippet from my DP2, my corporal qualification. 
I was clearing a road and I had a metal detector and clearing away and there's wire detectors out on the outskirts. So we're clearing this road because we don't know if there's uh, mines or other like an IED, which is um, an improvised explosive device. We don't know if something's going on the road and we've got a bunch of people behind us. They need to go on this road, but they can't go on it until we deem it safe. So our job is to search it. So now we're searching the road. And I saw someone in the distance. It was about 200 meters away on the right side of the road. And it was a black plastic bag, like a garbage bag. I was like, okay, like, what's going on here? Obviously, you know, I want to see what's going on. So we go up to it. I have my metal detector around. It's dinging. So we definitely know there's something inside that bag. But I just can't go up and pull it apart, even though I want to, like, to know what's inside. We have to not put ourselves at harm. So what I did was I put an anchor point, uh, which was 200 meters up the road. We had our vehicle, which is a lav. We had it placed in front. So if there was an explosion, we were able to hide behind it while we do our pull. So at that location, I had an anchor point and then direct to the right side of that, across from the road beside of the ditch, I had another anchor point. I ran uh, a cord through those anchor points, running all the way through towards the situation, which is the black garbage bag. Another anchor point there. And then in front of the black plastic bag, I put a piece of tape with another anchor point, And then I put a clamp on the other side. So when I pulled the cord, the tape made one side of the plastic bag stay in place. And the cord with the clamp, it ripped it open. Then I could see it was inside. But just that situation itself, there are so many other scenarios that I could have done to open up this bag. And there's so much creativity that you can think about when you're approaching these uh, situations. Yeah, creative problem solving all the way for sure. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So then you have also heavy equipment operators? Yes. What's that about? So heavy equipment operators, they are trained to drive the dozer the bucket and multiple other different kind of heavy equipment pieces. Say if there's a road that's washed out, we need to rebuild this. They're going to be the people who are going to be building the roads. Another scenario they could do um, in September, we were doing our annual exercise for our regiment. We needed to build the camp. So luckily the camp was already built from multiple years ago, but after the spring and the snow melts and everything like that. The dirt was moved around a bunch. It just wasn't a great place for people to live for a couple of weeks. So the heavy equipment went in. They leveled everything out. They made sure it was easy for people to maneuver around. Okay, keep going. What else you got? To get into more other kind of specialties, there's combat divers. Um, I understand that you guys did a podcast about the combat divers before, hey? Yeah, we have, which I'm pretty sure was season two, episode 10. I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, above water, personally. (laughs) (laughs) It is really cool, their job that they do. They are able to do a lot of our job, but underneath the water. And another specialty that we have is water purification. Uh, An example... Our water purification team was going to resource all of the water for the camp that we're using on exercise from the river. And that would make us fully dependable from the water source from the river and not from an outsource. So that would be beneficial to us, which would also benefit others uh, say that if we were on mission, uh, we could help civilians that need it. So with all of this, like you talked about, you know, your annual training exercise, What does a routine day look like in the world of combat engineers? During exercise or at the regiment? Yeah, at the regiment. 
At the regiment, this could really have multiple things to do. Currently, for myself, as the in position, I am tracking of what's going on in Ukraine Russia. I make presentations to my commandant weekly about anything that's impacting the world and if it could impact Canada. That's what my job is. But prior to doing my specialty, I was in the field troops for multiple years. And our day-to-day life there, which is more typical for a combat engineer, is doing maintenance of our equipment. So it could be our tools, it could be our vehicle, it could be brushing up on our skills, redoing some of the mathematical uh, equations that we need to do, brushing up on everything like that. If we just did a range, we have lots of cleaning up to do afterwards. Weapons need to be soaked in cleaning solution. We could clean all of our axes that we had to use for the day. Like It really depends on what's going on that week. That does actually pretty accurately capture your day-to-day in battalion or whatever. <laughs> so that's a good one. So we talked a little bit about routine activities. What are your bigger exercises like? What does that look like for you? Uh, or for combat engineers in general, probably more accurate. What does that look like for combat engineers? I'll give a little snippet for engineers uh, on exercise because there's lots of different things that we could be implemented in. For example, there's unit exercises, there's brigade exercises. So everything's also a little different depending what it is. Unit exercises are made for us to practice our skills and to learn in an environment that is a little bit less stressful than working with other units because it is our time to kind of mess up, to fix our skills and ask questions and look at different things from another perceptive. And that's why we do the unit exercises. So if you're building a bridge and we have less personnel than usual, what's the outcome going to be of that? What's going to affect the personnel? How is this going to affect the time of the bridge built? Um, It could be as well for searches. Um, If we are doing different kind of occupied and unoccupied searches, we practice with some of our personnel do opt for, which is enemy force. So they pretend to be the enemy. So then we actually get some experience with like, okay, what if you're trying to search somebody and they are not being cooperative? Like, what do you do? What's a way for you can fully feel comfortable with approaching the situation? Obviously, it's going to be nothing like when you're on mission, but at least it kind of gives us some familiarity of what our trade is like when you're not just practicing and practicing. Yeah, and it keeps you on your toes a little bit too. Yeah, it definitely does. For an example, I just finished Lyon Numérique. It's a brigade exercise, so... What it means, all the units get together and we are approaching a situation together. So it was actually really cool. I was able to go in the back brief with the brigade commander and I listened in. It was my first time ever doing a brigade exercise and I was really curious to see how the other elements took place with us as engineers. So seeing the infantry's plans and the artillery plans with connections with our plans and seeing how some of the infantry were down to a couple guys. So they wanted to borrow some of our people because our secondary duty is infantry and seeing how that intertwined with itself and seeing where our minefields were and how we need to make sure we had our safe lanes open for our own personnel can as tracked and like trying to locate all of that and like that communication that you don't always get to see. And it was able to give me a better understanding of the military playbook and why we do things in a certain way and how combat engineers can be implanted in that. So speaking of that, have you had any experience integrating into a combined arms exercise where you're mixed in with the infantry and the artillery and the armored people and everybody's rolling around together? 
Yeah, I did uh, Common Ground in Gagetown in 2019. It was probably one of my favorite exercises I've ever done so far. So I'll give you an example of what was going on. And it's like the clearest image in my brain right now. So we were clearing a minefield. So us engineers were up front. We were putting a safe lane in and there is a bunch of armored uh, tanks behind us. And they were pushing through behind us to make sure that it was cleared. And then once we were able to put the safe lane through the minefield, the infantry convoy was able to push and continue on to their way to get to their objective, which was something really cool to see that because when we're practicing clearing minefields, like honestly, you just practice over and over and over again. You're like, okay, I get this. I clear this minefield. Like, <laughs> That's right. Sweet. I got the safe lane going on here. But to actually seeing it being used in a military situation, Made it feel like, okay, yeah, actually, this is pretty cool. Like, I see why this is purposeful in my job. I've had that experience, too, where you're doing, like, a vehicle checkpoint, and you're standing in this Mm -hmm. road in the middle of nowhere to practice doing vehicle checkpoints. I did an air quotes for those that can't see that. (laughs) But there's never a vehicle coming. But then when you actually start having vehicles, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is real. It makes sense. So it gives something a little bit more tangible than just, you know, clearing a minefield in the middle of nowhere that nobody's ever going to go there. And you just do it over and over and over again. But now there's people waiting for you to clear the minefield and they're going somewhere. And maybe it's time sensitive. And now you're feeling a little bit more jazzed up about it. Oh, absolutely. It increases their morale insanely. You can see it throughout all the troops as well. Like on day to day, we just practice our drills. We practice what we're going to be doing. But when we actually get to implement them, it's like, wow, okay, that's cool. Like all this practicing paid off. And because you practice so much, you get the confidence of your job. You're like, yeah, okay, I've done this multiple times. We could do it this way and that way. So when you go to approach the scenario, you don't have as much anxiety towards it. You're like, okay, I've done this lots of time. Let's go. Let's do this. Like, it's a good feeling. And you feel proud of yourself after you actually understand that your job was to do something beneficial. I had an experience. Uh, this was my, I'm glad I'm not a combat engineer today experience was <laughs> when I was in Afghanistan, we were coming up to a corner and there was a report that there was an IED on that corner and we rolled up to it and there was this giant pile of manure So we're like, oh, great, this is it. So we stopped and we all dismounted. And I was like a private with a machine gun. And I went off and like did my, you know, cordon. I look back and there's this engineer (laughs) going up to the giant pile of manure with a metal detector. And I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not a combat engineer today. (laughs) (laughs) That is, yeah, that sounds about my job. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're talking about, you know, like it's a dangerous job. You could get blown up by a pile of manure. You were saying, you know, practicing those drills gives you that confidence. How do you deal with the reality that you're directly interacting with explosives in pretty dangerous situations? A lot of it comes between the trust within yourself of knowing exactly what you're doing and the trust within the people you work with. My first time wrapping a block of C4 and initiating it, it was in a range. My master corporal was right there next to me. He was telling me exactly, you know, you're doing good, you're doing fine. But yeah, my heart was pitter-pattering. I was like, what's going on here? And it's normal. And eventually you get used to it. And I think it's a part of the adrenaline that really knocks out the anxiety part of it because you're just like, this is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you work with the explosives throughout your training. You get comfortable with them. You understand exactly how they work and how they could be initiated. So every step that you take when you're doing like a drill or whatever, you understand that you're not in a huge safety risk at the moment. You're going to be okay. And if there is a scenario that sometimes you are, 
For an example, when I did my DP2, uh, my corporal's qualification, you'd fully get qualified to handle UXOs. So, like, I got a motor. There could be rockets, missiles, grenades, etc. Basically leftover bits. Leftover explosive bits. Exactly. So you get taught how to control a scene and how to approach the situation or the explosive and bip it, which means blow in place. Or you could have to make a reinforced position, like depending what it is. It teaches you how to deal with a scenario. And you get a block of C4 with a debt and you put it in while you're right there next to it. And you're like, yeah, that looks pretty good. And you walk away and after you initiate it and whatnot, and you have some time. But when I first time doing it, honestly, like there was some nervousness in me for sure. Whenever I got a little nervous, I just told myself that I did the training to do this. I know exactly what I'm doing. So with all this being said, where do you go from here? What's the next step look like? I don't know. I don't know what I want to do with my life, honestly. I'm a little lost in my (laughs) 20s. I'm 23, and I joined the Army at 17. My dad actually signed for me to join because I couldn't even sign for myself. So (laughs) I have some time in now, not a whole bunch, but enough to understand uh, what it is like being in the Army. And people need to understand that the Army isn't just a job. It is a lifestyle you build relationships that you wouldn't get from a civilian kind of job. And I think we can all agree being in the army, you definitely create those kind of relationships. So I don't want to ever get out of the army until my 25 years. Also because I want the pension because I'd be 43. So my next step technically would go for my master corporals for I can start to become instructor, but I don't personally feel ready for that. So I don't really know exactly what I want to do. I love the engineers. I don't want to leave the trade, but I don't really know what the next step for me. Hey, I want to give you one quick piece of advice. You take this or leave it, uh, unsolicited advice here, but I will say this, uh, with regards to career progressing and doing the master corporal thing and stuff, mm-hmm. most of the people that I know, including myself, when it was my time to go, didn't feel ready. And the thing is, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. So don't, don't hold yourself back too long because, what you'll find is other people will get ahead of you and then you have to deal with that too. So <laughs> Master Corporal's a fine rank. You, you get to do tons of stuff still and you just get to dip your toes into the leading people thing. It's not bad. So don't hold yourself back too long. Understandable. You're not wrong there. <laughs> Tell me what it was like when you joined the Army and joined the Engineers. When I joined the Army, I was at the recruitment center and I just finished my aptitude test and I was sitting there with my dad and I was trying to think about, okay, what do I want to do? And I was sitting there with the officer, and he was giving me my options. And he said combat engineer. And I was like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Like, what's a combat engineer? And he was like, there's not a lot of girls in it. It's it's a guy's trade. I don't recommend it to women. I really don't recommend it to you. And I looked at my dad, and I was like, that's what I'm doing. That is my <laughs> trade. And, <laughs> like, I had not as much knowledge of what the engineers do today, absolutely, but uh, at that moment. But I'm really grateful I definitely took that step. That was how my uh, initiation of my carbon engineer career started. <laughs> I am really grateful that I continued on to it, though. I'm going to be honest, like there definitely was moments that it was uh, physically demanding, but it also gave me like really great strength and confidence within myself, knowing that I was able to finish something and feeling proud of myself. And that's something that I was able to take uh, within my experience of the engineers that I never really experienced in the civilian world is the opportunity to feel really proud of myself because I am able to do opportunities that I never thought I'd be able to do and things that I didn't think I'd be successful in. Yeah, and sometimes doing hard training stuff 
when you get through it on the other side, you realize how much potential you have. And to see that laid out before you as you're tested to your very limits is a pretty uh, unique experience. Oh, absolutely. It makes you see things within yourself that you didn't think were there. Okay, well, I think that's that's the podcast. Nice. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Chimo. All right, yeah. <laughs> Chimo, perfect. Deucimus. Deucimus.